Good to see you all this Lord's Day. It's good to be able to worship with you today. We've been going through a series, as you know, this year called Running the Race, and right now we're right at the middle of or getting close to the end of the book of James as we look now at the rewarding road of righteousness. And today, we're going to pick up in chapter 4, looking at the first 12 verses of that chapter at a topic called heart issues, heart issues. Hey, have you heard this news? Maybe I'm pretty sure you probably have. There's a lawsuit that has been filed by a lady in Illinois uh, who says Kellogg's is misleading consumers with their strawberry Pop-Tarts. She says that they don't have enough strawberries in them to be rightfully called strawberry Pop-Tarts. And so she is suing Kellogg's, now get this, for $5 million. We hear that and we think the world has gone insane. And we say, I mean, how foolish and how senseless this is. But at the same time, how many foolish and senseless arguments and disagreements have we all been a part of in our own churches? You know, some of the crazy arguments, you've heard them, I've seen them, I, I suspect you've had them too and, and seen them. Instead of, instead of not having enough strawberries, it's not enough songs, or it's not enough heat, or not enough of what I want. You see, if the world could hear some of the meetings of churches in America, they would have that same reaction that we have about that horrendous Pop-Tart predicament. So let's go even further. What if others could hear our conversations with our family members or coworkers? What foolish and senseless arguments we can have. You moved my socks. The tea isn't sweet enough. You changed the channel. You didn't notice my haircut. Or maybe at the office, the boss asked for your opinion. He didn't ask mine. You moved my chair. It just goes on and on. And so what we come to in the book of James, that James now is addressing disciples who are fighting. They're having quarrels. And as inspired by the Holy Spirit, he has his finger on the pulse of humanity. The problem, once again, of course, is the heart. And so let's take a look and check our own hearts today, can we? And see if we're having heart issues as well. Y'all with me this morning? All right, so we're going to look at James chapter 4, starting at verse 1, going through verse 12. If you're able and honor and reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand as I read this passage of Scripture for us from the Word of God. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law, judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He is he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for your spirit's work in our hearts and lives as we read the word. And we pray, Lord, that you would guide us and direct us as we uh, open up the word and as we hear the word proclaimed. And so, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would draw us to yourself. I pray, Father, that you would have your way in every heart and every life here today. That, Lord, that when we leave here today, we will not leave the same way we came in. But, Lord, you will have challenged us and changed us and convicted us even of how we're running after the things of this world and not running after you. So, Lord, I pray that you'd work in our lives. Help our hearts to be tender and receptive to what you want us to hear and understand. And I pray, Lord, that if there are those here today that don't know Jesus, that this is that hour of salvation that they'll say yes to Jesus Christ. Lord, as you call people to yourself. But now, Lord, have your way in every heart and every life. And, Lord, I pray now that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as you look at this passage of Scripture, the first thing we want to see here is that there is a problem. And James does not mind telling people what the problem is, if we had figured that out already over the past several weeks that we've been in the book of James. I was reading uh, this week specifically that someone suggested that the book of James really should be called James, the in-your-face epistle. I think that's pretty appropriate, don't you? But it's so true, isn't it? But it is so needed as well because disciples both then and now need to be called out when there is sin in our lives. And so he says there are some heart issues. As he points out to the church that he's writing to there in chapter 4, he says, look, there are some heart issues. And if you remember that he was dealing with the heart even as he said a few weeks ago about the mouth, taming your tongue, we learned that what comes out of the mouth flows from what? The heart. And we also learned last week that your walk reveals the well of wisdom that your heart has drawn from. And now we see that your heart, he says, your heart is causing issues with other people. And so there are three things, I think, first off, that we're going to see here that reveal the heart issues in the church that James is talking to. And he says it's a problem. So here's the first one, and that's this, warring passions. Warring passions. So let's look at verse 1 again. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And so he says, look, the conflict and the quarrels and the discord and the feuds happen not because of the circumstances to you or toward you, but rather the, these happen because of the heart issue that's within you. He's saying your passions, your pleasures are a heart issue and they're warring within you because you want your way. Oh, glory. 
See, because of these warring passions, there are attitudes and there are actions that are fueling the fighting and the quarrels. In verse 11, we see that they evidently were speaking evil against each other. Verse 12, they were judging their neighbor. And then he says this in verse 2, the first part of verse 2. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He says, these warring passions that are within you are exposing the frustrations from outside of you. He says, you cannot have what you want, and so it leads to hatred, which then leads even to murder. He said, you covet and you don't obtain, and so that's what causes the fighting uh, and the quarreling. And as we hear what James is saying to the church, we say, wow, what in the world was going on in that day? But friends, let me tell you something. Nothing has changed all these years. Because the heart issues still exist in humanity. We have the same warring passions today in our own hearts and our own lives of selfish desires and selfish pleasures that we crave and that we feel like we deserve. And here's the thing, friends, that when we don't get our way, we are unhappy people. And when we're unhappy people, we can become grouchy, and we can become grumpy, and we can become simply cantankerous. Come on now, right? And so look, when this happens in our lives, it is evidence that we have an idol that we bow to. And the idol that we bow to has a name, and the name is self. And we feel like everybody else should bow down to our idol of self. And when they don't bow down to our idol, well, guess what? It causes discord and it causes fights. When there's fighting, when there's quarrels and there's discord, there's a heart issue. And it's a problem. And the problem is the self-centered heart that is insistent on its own passions and insistent on its own desires. But what does the Bible tell us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24? It says, those who belong to Christ. Now watch this, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So as disciples of Jesus Christ, those things should be out of our lives. But if you are a disciple, friends, listen, if you are a disciple who is constantly in discord, who is constantly at war with people, who is constantly fighting and constantly having conflict, then it is evident in your life that you have not crucified your passions and desires, but rather you have kept them on life support and you keep feeding them. The Bible says, look, there are issues in your life and in your church and in your relationships because you have a heart issue. And so the heart issue is warring passions of your own pleasures and desires. And there's a second thing he says here. This also is a heart issue. It's wrong praying. So let's look at the latter part of verse 2 and then verse 3. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So you're saying you claim to pray. You call yourselves disciples. You claim to pray, but you really are not praying. You ask, but you don't receive because you have wrong praying. He says you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
The word spend there means squander, and passions means pleasures. So he's saying you're asking to squander it on your own pleasures. So wrong praying is this. Wrong praying is praying with selfish motives and seeking to have your way fulfilling your own desires. And so what we learn is that this isn't praying at all, and it'll get you nowhere. As we think about that's what James is saying to the church in that day, beloved, we also understand that nothing has changed all these years, that heart issues still exist in humanity, and this wrong praying is still in disciples today, where this kind of praying is self-centered. And this kind of praying reveals a heart issue that wants my will, not anybody else's will, including not even the Lord's will. This kind of praying is, Lord, I want what I want. So this kind of praying, now listen now, this kind of praying is calling out to some cosmic contributor for my cheerfulness. This kind of praying is assuming that the great Santa Claus of the ages is going to do all that he can to make me happy. This kind of praying is making a wish list in the Amazon shopping cart of life and telling our heavenly grandfather figure, hey, it's in there, get it for me. That's what that kind of praying is. It's all about me. It's wrong praying, he says. But right praying is described this way. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. According to his will, right? And then if you will recall, Jesus, as the disciples asked him how to pray, Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verse 10, he, in the midst of that prayer, he says these words, Your kingdom come. When we pray, we're praying, Lord, your kingdom come. Not my kingdom, right? Not my kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so right praying is seeking his will. You say, well, pastor, is it all right then if we pray for, for our daily needs? Well, absolutely. It's nothing wrong with praying for our daily needs. As a matter of fact, Jesus, in the very next part of that prayer, says, Give us this day our daily bread. But the question is, what, as you pray, what's the motivation behind it? And so the problem here is James is dealing with, and the problem that's still prevalent in churches and, and Christians today, is that the problem is that the, our praying is often self-centered and my preference motivated. And so it's wrong praying. So he says there are issues in your life, in your church, in your relationships, because, he says, you have a heart issue. So a heart issue is warring passions, wrong praying, and then the third thing is worldly pursuits. Worldly pursuits. Let's look at verse 4. Look at what James says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I mean, what an indictment, amen? What an indictment. These believers that James is addressing here, they were, he, he says that they're committing adultery with the world. In other words, they say that they're disciples, but they're cheating on God. 
So their affection, their allegiance, their attention are not on the Lord, but they are on the world. So their love and their loyalty and their longing are not for him, but for the things that are against him. And so James is saying this. He is saying, look, look at what's taking place here. You adulterous people. He says, look, you are having an illegitimate relationship as you are having a love affair with the world. And as such, you have become hostile toward God as you have gotten in the bed with his enemy. And this is powerful stuff, isn't it? Now, the Jewish Christians, as James would be writing this to the church, the Jewish Christians certainly would have been familiar with this language as God had often accused his people of spiritual adultery against him. As they had left him, the one who had chosen them, the one who had made covenant with them, the one who had saved them from their enemies, and they'd gone after the gods of this world. As a matter of fact, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2, we read these words, that thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness and the land not sown. But then you move over to chapter 3, and he says, the Lord says this to them, what happened? Why have you gone after other lovers? This is what was dealing with, what God dealt with the prophets in the Old Testament. What James was dealing with in the church back in that day. And beloved, nothing has changed all these years. Heart issues still exist in humanity. There are those today who say that they belong to the Lord who have been born again, washed in the blood, believing in Jesus, but are pursuing other lovers and running after the world. Pursuing the world's values that are at odds with God's, pursuing the world's priorities, pursuing the world's passions, pursuing the world's principles. And so even today, the message that Jesus gave to the church at Ephesus in Revelation is still valid today where that church was going through all the right motions as disciples. But then Jesus says, and you remember this in chapter 2, verse 4 of Revelation, he says, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And the new King James says, you have left your first love. You've left your first love. And so there are issues in your life, James says, there are issues in your life, in your church, and in your relationships because you have a heart issue. And that heart issue is a problem. There are warring passions within you. There's the wrong praying that's all self-motivated, self-oriented, and worldly pursuits where you're running after the world and not running after God. Now, as we come to that passage and, and come to this part, aren't you glad that James doesn't stop right there? Because the next point, the next part is not only is there a problem, but there is a prescription for the heart issues. Amen? He says there is a prescription for the heart issues. And James, who is the brother of Jesus, knows very well who the, the, the cure is. The cure for the conflict, the cure for the fighting, the cure for the, the quarreling, the cure for the chaos is in our, in our own hearts is found in one place, and that's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who came, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross, who rose again bodily from the grave, who then sent the Spirit, who now lives in us. So here's the prescription. The first thing he says here is, trust God. 
trust God. So in verse uh, five, read what he says. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. So James says, yes, there is a problem. It's a heart issue. But the God who saved you has made the way for your heart to be continually transformed, and it's by his spirit, so trust him. He has saved you, and he has caused his spirit to now dwell in you. As I was looking at this verse this week, most every commentary I looked at said that this verse, verse 5, is the, one of the, if not the hardest verse to translate in all the Bible. Because there's two or three different ways in which it could be translated. But most all of them fell down on this particular uh, thought. And that's that the verse means this, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which He caused to dwell in us, yearns jealously for us. Or, as one translation put it, the Spirit which He sent to live in us wants us for Himself alone. Or, uh, it means, to sum it up even more, the Spirit jealously guards our relationship with the Lord. And so what He's saying now is trust him. Trust him who loves you. Trust him who has a relationship with you. Trust the one who sent the Spirit. Trust the Spirit of God who is in you. And the flip side of that is quit trusting in yourself and quit trusting your heart because the world will tell you to follow your heart. But your heart has warring passions and wrong praying and worldly pursuits. And your heart is deceitful and your heart is desperately wicked. So trust God, not you or your heart. Amen. So you may think that you know what you want. You may think that you know what you desire. You may think that you deserve something. But here's what you need to know is that he knows better than you do. So trust the Lord. And then we see in this part of that trust in God is that he goes in then to verse 6 where he says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace, but he gives more grace. That could be one of those but God statements, but he gives more grace. You see, is there any greater passage for disciples as we struggle with the internal war of the flesh against the spirit than to hear, but he gives more grace? So he's saying, trust God and not your own heart because he gives more grace. When we fail with our warring passions of our flesh and desires, when we fail with our wrong praying that's self-centered, when we, when we fail with our worldly pursuits as we trust him, he gives more grace. When we are weary as we trust him, he gives more grace. When we're frustrated with life, when we're frustrated with people in it, trust him. He gives more grace. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. See, we're saved by his grace and he gives more grace. The well is not depleted. We're given power to overcome sin by his grace and the well is not depleted. We will enter heaven by his grace and the well is not depleted. He gives more grace. So we're saved by his grace, we serve by his grace, and one day we will see him by his grace. So he says, don't trust your heart that's all self-centered and proud. As a matter of fact, he goes further and says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
So trust God, be humble. His Spirit's at work in you. He gives grace. So there's a cure for the issues in your life, he says, and that is trust God. And then the second thing he says that's a part of the prescription, trust God and submit to God. Submit to God. Verse 7. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit. That word is a military term. It means to get into the proper rank. It means to fall in behind. The one before you has higher rank. You get behind him. So if you think, so if you are a private, right, but you think you're the general, then there's going to be problems, right? And so if you are human, but you think that you are God, then there's going to be problems, right? He says, submit to God. And this word submit means to surrender, to yield, to relinquish yourself to him, to quit thinking that you're God and submit to his authority in your life. And this submission goes directly against the culture today, doesn't it? Because what culture says to us today is they say, be yourself, do it yourself, assert yourself, But God's word says, submit yourself and yield to God. That's what the Bible teaches us. It's the cure for the issues that we face. And so, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we see also that it involves humbling yourself as well. Again, we see in verse 6 that it says, that he he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So, the humility again, is important there as well, that you humble yourself as you submit yourself and yield to God. And the thing is, is that if you cannot submit to his authority, then you will constantly have issues in your life, constantly have issues in your church, and constantly have issues in your relationships. You see, as we look at this passage, we also see what it says about the devil, to resist the devil. And understand this, that the devil wants you to fight. The devil wants you to have chaos in your life. The devil wants you to have discord. He wants you to be at war with other people. And why is that? It's because it will keep you frustrated all the time. It'll keep you tied up in knots. It will distract you from your task. And when you're fighting, it destroys your testimony and it destroys your witness. Jesus, remember Jesus told us in John 13, 35, that the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. How tragic when the world looks at disciples and says, oh, how they hate one another. So he says, therefore, submit. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the word resist means to stand against the devil, and he will flee from you. Oftentimes, we'll take that part of the verse and say, I got this. I can stand against, I can resist the devil, and he's going to flee from me. Well, you cannot take out the first part of that verse. These two pieces must be held together for this part of the prescription. You must submit to God and resist the devil. Because it's not your power, it's the Lord's power. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Again, there's that word. 
firm in your faith. So when tempted to give in to the warring passions of your flesh and your desires, or when you're praying wrongly with my preference motivations, or if you're pursuing the world instead of going after the Lord who loves you, submit to God and resist or stand against the devil and he will flee from you. That's the cure for the issues in your life. Trust God, submit to God. Then there's a third part. Draw near to God. So trust God, submit God, draw near to God. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So this drawing near involves seeking the Lord and repentance. I'm reminded of what the Lord says in Jeremiah 29 again, verses 12 through 13. It says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So the cure for the heart issues in life includes trusting God and submitting to him, but also drawing near to him. And as we hear these words, draw near to him, that's an indicator that at some point we moved away, right? Draw near to him. And the thing is, friends, that he hasn't moved, we have. So the question for us today is, okay, where are you? Where are you in your love for the Lord Jesus? Where are you in your love for him? Where are you in pursuing him? Where are you in your heart's desire for him? Are you closer to the Lord today than you were last month? Are you closer to the Lord today than you were last year? Are you closer to the Lord today than you were before the pandemic? The same message of hope is still still the same today as we read in the word. And that's draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Don't you love that? Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. I I love the story of the prodigal son who strayed from the ways of his father. And when you look at the story of the prodigal son, in many ways it correlates with what James is saying here. Because the prodigal son thought that he knew more than the father did. And the prodigal son wanted his own passions and his own desires And the prodigal son asked from the father with a self-oriented and a my-preference motivation. And the prodigal son pursued the things of the world. But the Bible tells us that he came to realize that that way was a dead end. And so he remembered the mercy and the grace of his father. And so what does he do? He draws near. And you remember the story, right? And you remember the response of the father as he draws near. In Luke 15, 20, it tells us, And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. So what that tells us, as friends, is look, if you've moved away from the Lord, you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Take one inch toward him, he runs a mile toward you. Take one step, and he will fly toward you. That's the cure for our heart issues. Draw near. But also we see repent. We see that in the prodigal, but also we see it here in verses 8 and 9 again. The latter part of verse 8 says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. So what he's saying is, look, clean up your act. 
and clean up and purify, clean up your inner life. That's done through Jesus. But he says, be wretched and be mourn and, and, and to mourn and to weep. And what he's dealing with there is, is the same issue that we have in our world today is that we have a tendency to treat sin casually. So we say about sin in our own life or sin that we see in somebody else's life or sin that we see in culture is we think it's no big deal. I'm not worried about it. And he's saying, in your own life, look, it is time to understand the seriousness of your sin. He says, be wretched. That means be devastated. Be devastated about your own sin. To weep over your sin. He says, look, it's not a laughing matter. He's not saying that we can't laugh and have a good time. He said, no, don't be laughing about your sin. Because your sin's not anything to be laughing about. It's not something to be giddy about. To weep over your own sin and to repent. We think about the prodigal again. In Luke 15, 21, you remember how he came back to the father. He comes to the father and when he comes to him, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And when he comes with that repentant heart to his father, what does his father do? The father at this point, he doesn't say, I told you so. He doesn't say, how dare you show your face here? He doesn't say to him, now that you're back, you're going to pay me what you owe. No. What does the father do? He restores the son. He forgives the son. He loves the son. He celebrates that he was home. And so, old friend, listen to me. If you have moved away from the Lord... Draw near to him and come home to him because he is waiting for you to come. Quit chasing after the things of this world. It's a dead end. Come home to Jesus. The heart issues we have in our lives can be settled if we know Jesus and trust the Lord, submit to him and draw near to him. There's one to do, but this one to do really ties it together, this prescription, because it really, you see it weaved throughout all three of these things, and that's this. Humble yourself before God. And that's what James says in that very next verse, in verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So humble yourself and trust him. Humble yourself and submit to him, yield to him. Humble yourself and draw near to him. And he says, and he will exalt you. And you say, all right, that's what I've been looking for. I want to be exalted. No, that, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about you getting to a place of prestige, being exalted to a place of prestige, or exalted to a place of power, but rather that you are exalted to a place of joy, that you're exalted to a place of peace, that you're exalted to a place of satisfaction in him. So humble yourself, amen? And he will exalt you to the place where you have joy and peace and you're satisfied in knowing him and walking with him. So bow with me this morning. As you're bowing your heads with me this morning, you know that today is Halloween, October 31st. But not only is it Halloween, it's also known as Reformation Day. And on this day, October 31st, back in 1517, 
Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the door in the castle church at Wittenberg. And if you were to try to summarize what all those 95 were, basically he was saying to the church that religion had taken the place of relationship with Jesus. And Luther was taking a bold stand against it. And so while you are bowing your heads right now, I want you to imagine your heart as a door. And you have a hammer in your hand and you need to nail something to that door. And what we've heard today is that there's a problem and there's a prescription. As you get ready to nail something to that door, here's what I want you to nail. I want you to nail this to the door of your heart. On a piece of paper, you've written this, Lord, I have placed self as my idol and I will do so no longer. Here I am, Lord, your child, and I trust you, and I submit to you, and I draw near to you by your power and by your grace. Lord, have your way in me. I yield my life to you in Jesus' name. Father, may you have your way in us, that we would nail that to the door of our heart. Lord, that we, we, we would be no longer about a religion or worldly pursuits or wrong praying or warring passions, but that we would turn our attention toward you and trust you and not our own heart and submit to you and resist the devil and draw near to you as we repent of our sin. God, have your way in us to be the people of God that you want us to be, not just at church on a Sunday morning, to live this life out as a disciple every day that we have breath. May you have your way in us, we pray. Lord, as we come to this invitation, may you work in every heart and every life that indeed, Lord, we will not leave the same way we came in. And while we may not be concerned about a $5 million Pop-Tart, We are concerned about, Father, living our lives daily for you. Lord, we pray that you would have your way in us. For your glory, your honor, and your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as God has dealt with your heart.